You're listening to The Retail Perch with Shekhar Raman and Gary Hawkins. We're going to discuss industry challenges and opportunities in grocery retail, AI, current and upcoming trends, and so much more. Hey, folks, welcome back to another episode of The Retail Perch. Uh, I know it's been a couple of weeks. Gary and I took a little break, I guess, uh, welcoming the summer in here, Gary. Yeah, that's right. After the uh, foot of snow we had about 10 days ago, but I think spring and hopefully summer is finally here. That's terrific. Anyway, I can't wait for the good weather. I hope you guys are all out there doing some fun things this summer. And as we keep going on here with the next episode, and I think we're going to hit the three-digit mark pretty soon by the end of the year, Gary. We're going pretty strong here. Wow, boy, boy. Yeah, it's hard to believe we've uh, been at this a while. Yes, and and you know we have some had some exciting guests, and today we have yet another exciting guest on our show. Uh, we have uh, Lucinda Wright coming all the way from Michigan. So I'm going to let uh, let her kind of introduce herself. She's got an amazing background. I think the conversation today is going to be super interesting. Of course, we were a little miffed that we didn't get free samples before the show started, but she's promised us samples. So we're going to get her back on part two of the show and make sure we do a good job with asking her the right questions. So Alyssa, over to you. Welcome to the Retail Perch. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. And I know I'm starting at a deficit here in not providing <laughs> samples of our hard coffees and cider. My apologies. We'll, we'll make that up to you. So I appreciate being on. Um, yeah, I was just saying um, to someone the other day that I am entering uh, the end of my career, which makes it then surprising that I'm a startup alcohol, boozy, K-cup, startup CEO. When other people my age are thinking about retiring, I'm running a, running a startup company. I started my career early though, back in the days at Whirlpool Corporation, and then moved into Kellogg's for those of you who are into cereal and spent just about a decade on big brands, small brands within Kellogg, uh, innovation, M&A, had every brand assignment uh, except for food service. And when I left, I was VP of, of marketing, great years uh, there, and then moved into the retail side. So uh, went to the other side at a large retailer and set up the global sourcing and the innovation practices for all of grocery for their own brand. So every single category would launch three to 600 new products a year across the footprint uh, and, and I get to travel the world and see what supply chains globally look like and how to come to market and do deals in other countries. Great. Then I moved into consulting and thought, okay, well, I've helped other people run their businesses and now I'll go work with startups. So that's what I did with a company by the name of JPG Resources and you know, helped people realize their dreams across all categories of food and beverage, young brands and pure startups, accelerated growth brands, did it all. I had the marketing, sales, innovation, and strategy practices. And the founders out of Cask and Kettle, which is our disruptive innovations, our K-Pod cocktails, came out of that uh, innovation consultancy. For those of you in the business world who've sat through some tough budget meetings, that's what this idea was born out of. I don't normally share that story just broadly because those people aren't anchored in the business world like this conversation is, but we were having a, a tough budget meeting and the head of supply chain asked me if I wanted some coffee and I'm a coffee diva. 
and a cocktail diva, FYI. And I said, not unless this coffee has some booze in it to help me through this budget meeting. And he said, you know, we've been working in concentrates. I think we might be able to do that. And we're an innovation consultancy. So once you do that, everyone took a deep breath. We started riffing off of the idea. Um, it took us a year and a half to work through the technical uh, difficulties in, in launching and getting in a 40 ml cup, which is what this is, standard K cup, 40 ml liquid to get, you know, a shot of distilled spirits, concentrated coffees and flavors, not easy. And something that would work in any Keurig style brewing oh. system. So some, some trials and tribulations getting to market, but we, we eventually did it and we launched three years ago. Wow, that's, that's phenomenal. So Lucinda, how did you first get into the market? You know, call some of your retailer relationships and, and then do you distribute through liquor distributors? Yes, because we're okay. high proof. So in the pod, it's 25 to 38% ABV. We first had to even go to the federal government. We had to go to Washington, D.C. and sit down with what's, what the agency is called the TTB. That's the federal agency that governs alcohol, tobacco, trade, you know, cannabis, all of that. They had to write federal regulations around our launch because we were the first to market. All the regs are built around cans and bottles of stuff, not, um, you know, not a K-pod. Yeah. So we had to do that to start with. And because we are distilled spirits, we're really giving people who enjoy distilled spirits another way to get their jam on, right? It's just another way to go hot and warm. Uh, but we're, we are governed by the three-tiered, the infamous three-tiered uh, system in distilled spirits. So we sell to a distributor. The distributor sells in each state. We have to have one in each state. The distributor sells to retailers or on-premise bars and restaurants. They yep. sell to consumers. We're not allowed to sell directly to consumers, even though off of our website, we can take the order, but we have to immediately push it out to someone who's allowed then to ship it out of a state. Hmm. So we, we are the most difficult uh, path to a consumer that you, that you can take. Wow. So let me get this right. You have figured out a way to get some of these distilled spirits mixed in with coffee in a K-cup that you can put in a regular yep, yep. Keurig dispenser. Here's what it looks like. And that's the concentrator one. So this, this Keurig is the concentrate. Cup. This is the concentrate. So and the then Keurig all actually... the Keurig is doing is diluting it. And so right. more water, weaker, less water, stronger. Or if you don't have a Keurig, then you just do what I just did. Pour it into a glass or a mug, add hot or cold water, ice, whatever, nuke it in the microwave for 60 seconds. Um, so it's liquid. By the way, you're going to wish you could smell the fabulous <laughs> aroma. I just poured our hot, our hot blonde in here. So what is that? What's, so what's the one that you're showing here? So this, the hot blonde is, looks like this. So this is the packaging. This. Oh. Um, so this is a boozy vanilla latte. Like if you went to a coffee shop and you ordered a vanilla latte, this is the boozy version. So this is vodka, a concentrated um, dark roast coffee, and then a multi vanilla flavoring. And then you're just adding water. And then of course, I strongly advise you add a little bit of dairy or non-dairy creamer to latte it up. So this one is- You get a boozy latte. Boozy latte, it really, really is. And because it's a concentrate, this one in particular, I cook with it as well. 
So you just replace what you would do in a tiramisu or in a chocolate glaze or cupcake frosting or whatever um, with this and it becomes adulting your favorite uh, recipes. Wow. wow. And I don't know a lot of people who are listening to this, probably not watching this on YouTube. Um, Lucinda literally opened up a K-cup, poured it into a glass and it's a dark brown liquid. It looks like yeah. coffee, except that it's been vodka and vanilla flavoring added in. My God. Okay. Now I'm, I think uh, I have a yeah. strong feeling that we need to end this episode right here, get, get, a, get <laughs> yeah. a sample and then jump back on. Yeah, yeah. This, I mean, this must be what a brilliant idea. And so you're saying that this idea came out of a meeting that you were sitting around trying to figure out how to get your energy back up and get all juiced up. Yeah, well, we're so uh, contentious budget meeting and everyone who I work with understands my diva like coffee cocktail behavior. And so, yeah, I just broke the ice. And when you work for an innovation consultancy, you just naturally start brainstorming. I've, I've, I've been in new products for 25 years. So at every company I've ever worked at, I've been involved in validating, you know, pipeline of innovation, every single one of them. So that's just normal to us. And we also said that in this consultancy, we helped everyone realize their dreams. We said, if we, if we come up with the big idea, we would do it ourselves. If we, if we found the brass ring that we thought was a brass ring, then the first thing I did, guys, the first check I wrote out of my personal bank account was to consumer validate this idea. I mean, you know, just like we would tell any client who came to us as yeah. a consultancy, you should make sure that you're not the, just the only one who thinks this is cool and sexy, that someone else would actually buy this. Right. So that's what we did. And there's only been one other idea in my entire professional life that had consumer excitement this high. And we have our hands in that, in that business too. You just don't find these ideas very often. And so we persevered because every startup is difficult. It is. But a booze startup is especially, especially difficult. So how many markets or states are you in now? We're authorized to sell in 20 states. Okay. Um, I would tell you, though, that it's the 80-20 rule. And when you're a small, you have to also think that in the world of booze and alcohol, everything is cold and ambient. And we're hot. The, the world of alcohol, adult beverage, thinks that coffee is niche. Every time I hear it, I laugh. I'm like, okay, so you wouldn't want a portion of Starbucks business, you know, that are on every, every corner of America and the world. And so we had to, we've had to educate distributors, retailers. I mean, the, the world of adult beverage is fairly insular. And the thought that the intersection of coffee and distilled spirits and introducing the idea of a warm cocktail would excite consumers. They just, they just don't think like that. Yeah. It just so, blows so, their mind. So, so there must have been a fair amount of consumer education as well when you first rolled out or, you know, the first or second retailer you went to. Still, still, because we're so little and every state is, is like starting over again. And consumers, I'll, I'll actually add a tasting at Total Wine, you know, a couple of weeks ago. Um, I will do exactly what I did for you, which is, is pop open the pod, pour the liquid, describe it to people. And I'll still have people three or four minutes later say, so the booze is in there. I add that to my, like, totally not get that the booze is in there, plus the coffee, plus the flavorings, 
even though I've told them and I've shown them because it just rocks their world. K-pods are like ground up, you know, granules of stuff. And um, you never have booze and coffee in the same ready to go format. So it's a lot of education about what it is, what's in the pod, how do you make it? Hmm. From the perspective of discovery, right? And I was, um, interesting book I'm reading, uh, the listeners want to pick it up. I think it's a terrific book. It's by a guy called Tony Fidel. Uh, it's called Build. Tony Fidel invented the iPod and the uh, Nest thermostat. So one of the things that he talks about is when you come up with innovative products, positioning within a retail store is challenging because you don't know which category yeah. it goes into, right? Right. So right. when they came up with uh, a smart thermostat, they don't want to stick it in with the thermostats. They created a whole category called smart home. And, you know, that obviously that whole ecosystem was built out over the, over the last few years. So with your product, what category that it, does it even fit in? Such a good question. Such a good question. And um, other piece uh, to marry with this that, that pertains to this is the world of adult beverage is dominated by big players and distributors that control the category. It just is. And I knew that working on the retail side. That's not, that part's not necessarily, you know, specific to just adult bev. That's true in every category across food and bev. The only difference though, is that it's so highly regulated that there's even more power concentrated in these large categories. So there's very little space for anything new. And if it's new, it has to be incremental new, a new flavor of a vodka, a shape of a bottle. Innovation within adult beverage it's just flavorings in different containers, all ambient or cold, all the same types of um, drinks, all served. The only difference is, are you in a canned cocktail, are you putting it all together versus some bartender doing it for it? So everyone knows everyone's exact little space. Then we come along to your point, really great point. Um, and that is we fit in none of these. We're hot, we're not cold and ambient. We're not a flavor of one thing. We have, we have a variety that's an Irish whiskey and vodka dominate. We have a Mexican coffee with tequila. We have a couple of vodkas. We've got a hard cider. We have a line of different boozes and different coffees and flavors hot in a unique format. So yeah, really, really difficult to push when most brands are just trying to get any space they can And we made a mistake early. I made a mistake early with a large retailer thinking, okay, they're giving, they're willing to give us distribution, even though I knew it was in the wrong spot. I thought from a marketing perspective, we could rise above and educate. And that was a mistake. And we've had to correct that back to cordials. So those cream liqueurs, Bailey's, Kahlua, those guys, they're the closest to our drinking occasion. I mean, people put that stuff in coffee, so it's not exact. So that's really where we belong. But guess where the category is growing? It's growing over in ready-to-drink cocktails, hard seltzers, all the girls gone wild party stuff. And so it's easier for salespeople to sell us into the wrong space than it is getting us into the right space. And so I know now where to go, but that doesn't make the execution of getting us there any easier. And so that's the original idea. 
And what we found before the pandemic, we launched just before the pandemic and then we had the pandemic, bars and restaurants had bartenders. They were making fancy drinks. They were taking very high margins. They had coffee brewing sitting on a stand somewhere and they were adding a shot of something and putting whipped cream on it and making really big margins. Well, what's happened in the meantime, so, so the answer early was no, no bars, no restaurants, no lodging, no, none of that, all at home, retail. But now what we're finding, actually in New York City, uh, we're seeing it for the first time, bars and restaurants are struggling with bartenders and hiring people that can do anything, you know, or make anything complicated. No, you know, the coffees are all coming back because it's burnt or whatever. Now we're finding that we do have an opportunity because we're liquid instant. So coffee martinis in New York uh, City, espresso martinis, they're making with hot blonde. They just dump this in, add a splash of some Kahlua, add a couple ounces of water, shake it, go. High, brun uh, high volume brunch places, same thing. Hot or cold, with or without whip. We have eight to 11 ingredients of layered flavors in here. I come out of CPG. This is not a, a shot in a, you know, a, a mug of coffee here. So we are now seeing growth potential in that on-premise um, avenue. Wow. So Shaker, we're gonna to have to look for this. Like the next hotel, you know, when we travel, I can see uh, Marriott. You know, I've got the the morning coffee and the afternoon coffee. Absolutely, and some like the casinos are now um, experimenting with putting Keurigs back in all those rooms that they took them all out of because of the pandemic and even before the pandemic. So yeah, our future. I mean, I'm a neurotic CEO startup you know, uh, startup CEO. So I'm neurotic and every day I worry, right? But um, the trends are, are, are very sunny and positive for us. So that, cool. that helps push through. So when, when exactly did you launch? We launched late in 2018, just in Northern Cal, just in Safeway. So really 2019 was our real first launch year. Okay. And then of course, you, you know what happened in yeah. you know, 2021. Well, so, so I would think the, the pandemic actually may have been good for you and, you know, people being home, eating more meals at home, entertaining at home or, you know, themselves. Um, I, I could see a good fit there. Well, you and me both, except I am, you know, required by law to hook my wagon up to, to um, a company, you know, companies called distributors and distributors right. were over resourced to those bars and restaurants versus retail chains. And so they all got very, very shaky. There, they became shaky, laying people off, almost yeah. shutting down because they were not structured appropriately for the marketplace at all. And so I'm not allowed to go around them. I, I have to go help run all these distributors and help them be healthy in order to get to market. Right. Now, to your point, in some states, I can have direct conversation with retailers. In some states, I can't. And the ones that I did, I come out of a big retailer. I've, you know, I've seen all those desks and that does help me. And we, we, you know, we have been treated very well by Meyer. We had a great test with Kroger last holiday that I think is going to expand out, Jewel. So I am more, from a professional standpoint, I am more comfortable talking to those large retailers and where we can, we do, we do that. But the distributors being shaky or, you know, in in difficulty makes my life difficult. So then when you launched, 
did your education materials, your marketing have to flow through the distributor or yeah. could you, okay. Yeah, so basically the, the, it's the highest pain level you can imagine. So we have to sell to the distributor and they get, you know, a margin to be the, not only the supposed to be not only the su supply chain arm, but the selling arm. Right. So they're the selling, we sell to them, they sell in the market. So they get that margin. The problem is that we're a small startup disruptive and something they've never seen. We might as well been the most exotic animal at the zoo, right? And so you can imagine how difficult it is to motivate and inspire distributor salespeople to have to sell in, really, really sell in a disruptive innovation. Yeah. In yeah. order to be successful. So, wow. Go ahead, Gary. So I, I'm curious, you mentioned you know, like Meyer and, and Jewel yeah. and Kroger, and I'm thinking of Kroger in particular. Were you able to work with them, you know, around all their data to target certain consumers or reach out to specific audiences that you felt were, you know, most attuned to what you well, have? I love data. As you can imagine, you don't spend 10 years at a company like Kellogg's and not really be a data hack. You can't climb the ladder there. So what is profoundly interesting about data is that it's helpful for all of the stuff that's already out there with the sales history. It's, it is of zero help when you're doing something for the first time, especially when you're dealing with a buyer that has no knowledge of coffee. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the spirits people actually believe that people don't drink coffee in hot weather months in hot weather states. When the coffee buyer knows it's 365, 12 right. months of the year. I mean, Starbucks doesn't shut down in, in you know, Phoenix, Arizona in July. You know? Um, you know, when I ask people, well, do you drink hot coffee? And they say yes. And I said, did you stop drinking hot coffee last June, July? I mean, did you do? Of course not. So it's not about logic and rationale. It's about perception and unfamiliarity. So all of a sudden you have these buyers who have no knowledge of an entire you know, category called coffee. So they don't even access the data. I'd even say, I'll give you the data. Here's the regional skew for coffee. Here's the, here's the monthly skew so you can see that people drink it all year long. Here's the size of coffee. Here's, but you know, they're, they're spirits buyers. So it is, um, it's an uphill battle all the time. And I don't say that to whine or complain. That's just the brutal reality. So are you, do you have any say in terms of identifying the audience to whom it's marketed or you're letting the retailers do that? I do my very best to, to get them to let me help them. Right. And and my my retail cred, you know, credibility and credentials help me in a lot of the bigger chains. They do, especially if the buyers worked on any other desk, uh, for sure. If they've only ever worked in, in spirits or wine, they they accept my help, you know, almost zero times. Um, but other people then do let me help them. And in that case, things go much better. And then what I do to sleep at night, well. Two parts, I don't have to tell you guys. Step number one is just get the distribution, right? Just say yes to me. And so our strategy has been, just say yes to me during the holiday. Don't even say yes to me permanently, like on the planogram. 
just say yes to me in a holiday and we'll knock it out. We'll prove our way through. So for Meyer, we've had two years of holiday, year over year holiday performance where we, we held in there and we sold as well as all of the big guys on the Gaunt. Like we, our tiny little brand kicked major Heine, right? So now I'm pushing for permanent. Now mm-hmm. we've said, okay, see what we can do. Let me, you know, let's expand together. So give me a crack of the window and then we'll try to make it a door and then we'll walk through the door kind of thing. And so we're creating our own data. Now I have year over year. I take that year over year and then I I talk to other retailers about here's year over year and a very large retailer that sells lots and lots of, you know, adult beverage. So unfortunately, though, you have to survive as as a startup enough years to get that data to build up your own arsenal of, you know, proof. Right. So why a startup at this point? I mean, you know, I mean, most people think of startup, they think of, you know, people out of college in 20s and 30s, and you've gone through an amazingly illustrious career. How'd you get the energy to go back and start this? And plus, you know, uh, I think, uh, you know, something that you touched upon in your intro uh, is, you know, uh, somebody who's in their, in the later part of their career, woman, with a startup idea. I mean, you've got everything stacked against you in some sense, right? You're right. How did you break the ceiling here? You know, you're, you're right. Let me, I'll tell you the answer and that the the stacking up is, 5% 5% of the investment money out there goes to women-owned and led businesses. Um, in the spirit world, less than 5% are owned and run by women. Um, you're right, I'm turning 60 in, in July. It, it's this only point, a number, I know, but I'm just no, saying to your I point. I tell our listeners that she says she's turning 60, but she really looks like 30. Okay. Well, yeah. that's nice of you. But um, that's very sweet of you, actually. Uh, but yeah, you're right, not my first rodeo. I mean, honestly, you just don't come up with an idea. I've been around the block enough. I mean, when I was at a retail, at the large retailer, we tested new ideas every two weeks on every category for years. Same with Kellogg's and the consulting. You just don't come up with an idea that has this much consumer excitement very often. Like it's a once in a career kind of thing. Now, are the hurdles you know, incredibly high, yes. Had I known at the beginning um, they were gonna be this high, would I have I thought it through maybe a week or more longer than I did? Probably, but most of the joy of just exposing people to the idea and seeing their, like, wow. We were just at a trade show and we had a bartender helping and he leaned over to me at one point and said, here it comes. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like the wow moment. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's exactly how I see it too. He's like, I love to watch him take the first sip and then say, wow. I'm like, yeah, me too. Me too. So I do it for the wow moment. I mean, that's true, right? I mean, there's nothing more exciting for an entrepreneur than sharing an idea and seeing somebody else's eyes light up. And you're like, wow. (laughs) Absolutely. I agree. I agree. And, you know, and I think age is, it's just a number when it comes to an idea and excitement, you know, I think enthusiasm and having the dream is not age bound in, 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 in any way, right? I My think- husband of almost 40 years, so I'm 
40th wedding anniversaries in a couple months. He's a superintendent of a public school. And so he's working hard every single day. He, you know, we're two workaholics, empty nests at this point, working as hard as we did when we first started in our 20s, to, to be honest. So that's the other thing is he's been really supportive because of course I've been running this business for you know three, four years at what should have been the peak of my salary earning years. And you know what a startup CEO makes, which is zero. So um, obviously we're, we're growing the business and, and, and I feel very responsible to the investor money that we've been given by our colleagues and family and friends and now institutional investors. And I take that really seriously. Awesome. But luckily he's working really hard too. So he doesn't care about what I'm doing. <laughs> as long as he has coffee at night. That's yeah, right. well, yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, I did want to say something on the data thing, just because the data is so interesting to me. The, the thing that I have brought to the adult beverage world out of the CPG side is within alcohol, the world of alcohol, it's very sales driven. And there really is not a lot of consumer promotion tools, vehicles. And of course, so I brought over and we've had to adapt them. In a lot of cases, you can't just just take them as is, you have, to, you have to adapt them to the circumstance. But back on the, the large retailers, so at Meyer, for instance, once we sold in, step one is to sell and get to shelf. The next is educate consumers and pull off shelf. Catalina has been a lifesaver, mm. a lifesaver for me, because guess what I can do? I can target people who buy K-cups and who buy spirits. Right. You know, I have the, the buying behavior that is out there for me to then push, use the coupon sort of as a print ad, right? Push the coupon out as the educational tool and then let that do the work for me. We don't really need to reduce the price of our drinks. We, we would sell for roughly $14.99 for five drinks, which is happy hour pricing in any way, shape or form, which was a strategy, a pricing strategy uh, at launch too, but it's not really about giving them the money. It's about communicating what we are to the right eyes in the right household and then building the multiple purchase. So I never have to worry about ROI. If you right. structure it appropriately. I'm not mistaken. You really can give coupons on alcoholic beverages. You, you can probably have to do like a meal rebate, right? Nope. Nope. You absolutely can. Oh, really? um, we do. Yeah. So the, wow. the I guess the, maybe regulation in some states, in some states, you can, right? Yes, yeah. that's correct. Um, but in a lot of them, a lot of states, and certainly all the ones that we have major retailers in, you can. Nice. nice. So, but we were the first to sort of the, the buyers initially like, okay, yeah, spend your money, crazy woman, however you want to, right? That's fine. Just, you know, I don't, we're, we're fine. Now, that they see our repeat, which can take up to six months to get to 20%. And we're there in 11 weeks. And they see the purchase frequency and they see the incrementality in the shopper cart basket, which I get all of that data from Catalina. Yeah. So are there any surprises in the data for you uh, from who you anticipated was going to like the product and who actually <clears throat> uses it? Not really, only because we did the upfront. When we did the upfront consumer validation, I didn't know if we were, you know, boozing up coffee drinkers or giving spirits drinkers another way to get their jam on. I didn't know if it was going to be gender skewed or age or regionality or what, right? 
And so when the numbers came back so high and so mainstream, I don't know why I was surprised because Keurigs are very, very mainstream. 90% of the market is Keurig, 10% is like the Nespresso fancy stuff. Yeah. And they, they're as cheap as like on, on like Black Friday, like 40 bucks. So it spans people in their first apartment to very wealthy people who have them like on boats and in every room of the house or wherever. Um, it's just so mainstream that yeah. it's ubiquitous, really. And then the fact that we're liquid and you don't even have to have the brewing system, you can, you can take it camping or out and about or at the hotel or wherever, that just makes something that is mainstream even more mainstreamer. Mm. So I expected that. I, I did expect that. Also, now my first rodeo, I know that you can promise something, but the product has to deliver. So the number one most highly correlated reason for failure in food and beverage is in fact that the product doesn't deliver the press. It's the number one, number one most highly correlated. And so I think I mentioned it took us a year and a half to get the recipes such that I love every single one of them. And I'm confident if someone tries them and we make sure they know how, how you know, to add the water or whatever, <laughs> prepare it, that they're going to love it. And that is also incredibly key. And so I wasn't surprised our repeat was above average uh, at all. Our biggest problem is not brand awareness, but it's driving brand understanding. And that just takes time and money. And when you're a little tiny startup, those are two things you don't have a lot of. Right. right. So lastly here, to ask you, with the last couple of years supply chain issues, I know that a lot of people have said like Keurig K-cups, you know, because of the plastic and some of the paper on top that's to cover them. There've been issues with shortages and manufacturing side of things. Has some of that affected you at all? No, and, and back to, I, you know, the younger generation is very entrepreneurial, but more than once I've thought of, man, if we weren't as old and veteran as we are, I don't know how people launch these kind of companies. So we have very seasoned founders and COO. They were all over the supply chain stuff. Was it easy? No. But did we manage them? Yes. Did we just sign a contract with 10% COGS improvements? Yes. Um, our packaging is 98% recyclable. One thing it's not is just a little bit of the lid because of the sealant on it. Are we looking for even more uh, sustainable and you know, more efficiencies? Of course. But um, we had a depth there that maybe not everybody has. And so I, I, and we have a great relationship with our distillery, the president of our distillery and I, a really strong relationship. They believe in us and our brand and are incredibly supportive and think we're going to be great. So the supply chain side is not where I've lost, you know, sleep. Even during the pandemic, We've, we've managed to you know, work our way through that. It's 100% the fact that we work through distributors who have really, you know, have really struggled and continue to struggle you know, to try to sell out to the marketplace. And we have to have enough investment to drive brand understanding. Those are the places that are the most challenging. So if somebody were to, uh, if some of the retailers who are listening to this podcast are interested in seeing how they can get your product on the shelf. What would they have to do? They'd have to reach out to their distributor and say, Yep. Hey, yep. Okay. They just reach out to their distributor, their, their, um, their distilled spirits distributor and ask for us. That would be, 
that would be a, a lovely surprise uh, to happen. Usually yeah. that um, usually consumers ask me that, like, how can I help you? We've, people have been very generous. And I always say, ask your retailer to carry us because they can do that. All I have to do is ask the distributor, to bring us in. Um, right. Because right. the everyday Joe people are very, very gracious and generous. Yeah, believe it or not, we have a few retailers listening to this podcast. So, you know, well, that makes sense, though. That, yeah, exactly. totally. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It makes total sense for them to. So they reach out to Cask and Kettle and say, or their distributor and say, hey, can you get us some Cask and Kettle products? Yep. Or I'll just send them some samples. How about that? Like I should have sent you guys. You still can. You know, we're not. Yeah, we will. <laughs> so yeah. is it caskandkettle.com? It's caskandkettleusa.com. USA.com. Okay, perfect. So beautiful name, terrific conversation, listener. This was fantastic. I mean, you have such high energy and I guess high spirits, right? There you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's been a great conversation. And what is it? What a fantastic story. I just love your story. I mean, mine's not as uh, I didn't start as late as you. I did start maybe in my early 40s, which is still, you know, late for a lot oh. of tech tech entrepreneurs. But to do this in the late 50s, that's that's my hats off to you. So, you know, having to come through all that you came through, I think you're setting an amazing example for a lot of people out there saying that you can do it if you've got a dream and you got enough of a desire to go after it. That yes, you can do it. And, um, and lots of times people come back to me. I'm happy to, um, you know, advise people. Well, we just need more why, people. In. Why draw when you can trace, right? Why draw when you can trace? Absolutely. You know, I think we just, we need more, more of you out there. So well, I appreciate the opportunity to spend some time with you guys too. Oh, thank you so much. And you know what, what we're going to do for you is if you will send Stephanie your mailing address, we'll send you a retail perch mug where I you can that. have your <laughs> own coffee beverage. It's, uh, you know, uh, so I will do what, that. how many flavors do you have? Many- we have five. We have four hard coffees and one hard cider. So, awesome. yep, just depends on whatever your jam is. There's something there for you to enjoy. But yes, I will put it in the mug. We'll take a, a picture of it and push it out on our social too. Awesome. That would be fantastic. Well, thank you so much for stopping by and spending time with us. And you should see this. Uh, you know, Stephanie will have this out next Monday. So, for those who have been back with us, thank you so much for continuing to support and listen to us. We Gary, as last I checked, we continue to be in the top five or eight grocery podcasts. So we're obviously delivering some material that's fun. I don't know. I think maybe people are just having fun with the jokes that we say. Congratulations. Whatever it is. But it's been terrific because, you know, we have amazing guests like Lucinda out out here on our show. So thank you so much again. You guys have a safe and wonderful holiday weekend. I will talk to you soon. All right. Thank you. Make sure to join us every Monday and connect with us at The Retail Perch on Instagram and Facebook. And if you have any questions, feel free to email us at theretailperch at birdseye.com. Until next time, this is Shaker. And this is Gary, signing off.